0: and Eastern Maine since 1984. Insurance, care, self-pay accepted, and reduced fees for uninsured clients. MabelWadsworth.org.
1: Yes, I. Reggae music and local law. Where else has got to be? The WEIU drive through Join us once your Wednesday evenings from 8 until 10 p.m. It's two hours we look at roots and culture reggae music with the down east flair. Kind of like Bob Marley meets Bert and I and I. A couple hours of bad grammar nestled in around some reggae music. Hey, we're hoping you're going to join us each and every Wednesday evening on your community radio station. Just visiting... Got friends here from away? You can take us home with you no matter where you live. Live on the web, streaming, WERU.org.
0: Support for WERU comes from Susan Bakley and Chris Marshall at the 13th Moon Center in Montville, offering shamanic healing, Art from the Heart, through art, therapy, and classes since 1985. More information is available at 13thmooncenter.net, all spelled out, or 589-3063. And it's just about two minutes past 10 o'clock. You're listening to Community Radio, WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 in Bangor, and streaming worldwide at WERU.org. Stay tuned for healthy options.
1: Good morning. I'm Rhonda Feynman, and thanks for tuning in to Healthy Options today. Our guest today is Elaine Miller-Karis. She's the executive director and co-founder of the Trauma Resource Institute and author of the book Building Resiliency to Trauma, The Trauma and Community Resiliency Models. Elaine Miller is a licensed clinical social worker and trauma therapist. She co-created the Community Resiliency Model and the Trauma Resiliency Model. The goal of both models is to help to create what is termed resiliency-informed and focused communities. That is, communities which share a common understanding of how our nervous system is impacted by trauma and chronic stress. And then, how resiliency can be restored or increased by using the skilled-based approach. This model to restore or increase resiliency has been used in the aftermath of human-made and natural disasters worldwide. Elaine miller has been a guest on Healthy Options before, and we've invited her back now to discuss her new book on building resiliency to trauma and also to find out how uh, the Trauma Resource Institu- Institute has grown since we last spoke. And of course, little did we know how relevant this would be to have this program today. So I want to welcome you back to WERU and Healthy Options, Elaine, Elaine miller Caras.
0: Thank you very much. I'm really happy to be here again and Again, when we started talking about me coming back and talking and doing an update about what we're doing around the world, we didn't know it would be on the heels of the the worst human-made disaster that we've ever seen in our country so far.
1: Yes. So I think we can jump right in and say, what would we know from the trauma point of view and from our neuroscience point of view, what is happening in our bodies? What's happening around the world?
0: (laughs) Funny you should ask,
1: right? Yeah.
0: Well, I think that um, one of the things that we we are f- affected by the the communal so cumulative trauma that that happens in the world and our nervous systems are impacted. And I imagine many of your listeners, as, as myself, um, have been very um, impacted by what happened in Las Vegas. Not to say all the other um, natural disasters um, that have happened in our in our own country. And um, and my heart just goes out to the Puerto Ricans who. Um, island looks like, um, you know, something just exploded it. So in any event, what happens inside of us is we have what's called the autonomic nervous system, and you might want to think about it as the accelerator and brake of your nervous system, and so when we become distressed, um, some of us can feel our heart rate start to be more quickly, we can feel our our breathing becomes more labored, sometimes it's more shallow, um, and we're taking more breaths. Sometimes it's even hard to take that deeper breath. And we also may notice that, you know, our muscles seem tight. So one of the things that we do that's a key thing of our models is that we help people to read their autonomic nervous system and to be able to very simply tell the difference between sensations of distress and well-being. And I was called yesterday by um, one of our um, uh, colleagues who uses the model in, his, um, in the therapy that he does for people and he said, Elena, I just have to share with you. I had a gentleman come to see me and he um, was at, he was in Las Vegas and he was distraught. And the, and then I could see his nervous system just start to get jacked up. He said, so I just asked him, I said, well, well tell me, is there anything that's helping you get through? And it was almost like the man had you know, a bit of water that was you know, tossed on his face. He goes, well, well, yes, he goes, I saw the most amazing humanity. People helped me. People helped others. He said, it was horrific. It was something I would never want anyone to ever experience. But then he started talking about the generosity of strangers, the first responders. And he said, I could just see him, his whole nervous system changed. He took a deep breath. You could just see his muscles relaxed. And he just said, that's what I'm going to need to focus on, because that's the part that helps me keep going. And what we know about our model is how we have some very simple terms and one is called the resilient zone. And when we're in our resilient zone, we're at our very best. And that doesn't mean that we don't suffer, that we don't maybe feel sadness or, or even anger and being annoyed, but we're able to, to manage the sensations and the feelings associated with that. And we have the availability of our prefrontal cortex. So we make good decisions for ourselves and others. And what we're seeing because we have many people doing research about our model around the world, is when we're in that resilience zone, we have greater compassion not only for ourselves but for others. And so that's one of the ways that we talk about resiliency, that we expand our personal, familial, and communal resiliency by paying attention to when we're knocked out of this resilience zone or when we're in. Some people, conversely, don't have that, this experience of being what we call in the high zone with the, the heart rate beating fast. They have more of an um, experience inside of their body that everything thinks to be slowing down and they feel exhausted and depressed. And I've heard from a lot of people in the last week that people are weary of all the things that are happening in our world um, with the human-made and natural disasters. And, you know, regardless of where we are along the political spectrum, there's a there's a toll that is has as um is being um, experienced I think by many of us and that's why I've been reading things you know on the Facebook and other things people are sending me about being heartened about seeing all people coming together and helping and helping whether it's in Puerto Rico right now or Florida or, or um, in Texas um, and now in um, in Las Vegas.
1: So there, there, are so many ways to go from everything that you've you've just said. One, there, there are two things that strike me. One is that your your colleague, when his uh, when his client was there, he started to talk about a, a positive thing or something that would help shift out of uh, out of the trauma itself. Like, what helped you or who helped you? So there's yeah, and this is where, you
0: know, I think of course you know we need to be respectful. And some people want to talk about what happened, and but some people don't, or some people um, forget that other things happened there as well. And so I think what our model does is it it um, is respectful to the individual who wants to tell the trauma aspects of their story. But we it, we what we do is we integrate what I would call um, resiliency nuggets, and because you can't ask about a positive thing too soon, or if it seems no. like how could you ask me about something like that? I guess. Yes. I prefer to say something more that something else happened besides the trauma, and that is another part that we're really interested in because then that makes the trauma story also a survivor story or some people call it a thriver story. That, oh, my gosh, it was horrible, but I made it out, and I carried a woman on my back, and those are the kinds of things that are also true in seeing you know, our humanity, and we want to amplify our humanity, especially right now. I mean, I think it's a good thing to do always. But we're living in a in a climate right now that I'm, you know, I'm in my 60s now, and I can't remember a time like this except for maybe in during the 60s, during the um, the civil rights movement, and also the anti-war protests. But I think that um, being able to pay attention to our well-being also helps us create solutions to to improve our our world. Because when you know people say to me, well, you know, I'm I'm living on the Syrian border in, in Turkey and I don't want to be in my resilience zone. I'm angry. And I said, oh, but if you're so angry that people are afraid of you, then people can't hear your, your passion and maybe even hear about potential solutions and, um, and strategies that you may have to help the Syrian refugees coming towards Turkey. So you see that there's a, there's a line between being passionately effective and in, in creating change and being so angry that um, people can't listen
1: because it elicits a fear response in us so what what happens how what are, what are the techniques then and the other part of the question I wanted to say is that also those of us who are not directly affected are still affected
0: yes absolutely and, and, um, you and, you and know, then we and, can and
1: talk we, about the specifics right, maybe. And, yeah
0: and we certainly learned much more about that after 9/11 that you know we used to think that it was, you know, the closer you were to, the, to kind of ground zero, the more impacted you were, certainly you are. But, I mean, in today's world with the media seeing images, you know, all the what we just saw in the news the last few days with um, cell phone coverage from individuals and sending that out were much more impacted. So, you know, you actually, you know, already said it. Is that how do we have conversations, and I actually call it our community resiliency model, I think, um, Rhonda, is, What's really um, expanded since we last spoke, and I, and it's it's probably one of the things um, that we at the Trauma Resource Institute feel just the most proud about, because it's a model um, that is for everyone. It's really adaptable. It's you know it's it's portable. It's affordable, and it really can be delivered by peers. So even though of course here in the United States we we're lucky enough to have what we call a triage system where we have mental health um, professionals and psychiatrists and physicians. But many people that are maybe even listening to your program today, they that their first um, line of defense that they're suffering is not necessarily going to a therapist, but it may be going to their best friend or there's a really wise person that works at the grocery store, and every time they go there, the grocery clerk makes them feel better. Mm-hmm. So we have taken our model and we've... Um, adapted it to a, you know, it's a five-day training program and we t- we train people all over the world and we teach them to be community resiliency model teachers and so where this fits in about what the skills are about you can we call it crim for short so um you can do what we call conversational crimming and that would be like you're talking to someone and they're suffering and this happened yesterday with my neighbor my neighbor you know here in southern california where i live you know we go to las vegas a lot it's four hour drive from um from where I live, and so she's a teacher at one of the local school districts, and she literally she had about 15 people that were there, one's in the hospital right now in critical condition. So, and her husband's a police officer, and she was just so anguished, and we had a really wonderful conversation, and, and about, you know, her suffering, and we talked and listened, and, and then, you know, it's like that question, you know, what's helping you get through? And we started talking about the things that have happened to her family that are helping them get through another tragedy they experienced. And it was just, it was a wonderful conversation, and it was one we were, we were both leaving feeling a bit hopeful about humanity, and we both ended saying, well, maybe, Elaine, you could come over and I can invite some of these people over and you can teach them these skills. Mm-hmm. I love that, because the skills are really easy, and they can be transferred to everyone. So the skills, and I'm going to talk about the what I call the basic three. There's six all together sure. in our community model, And they're called tracking or reading the nervous system. Um, The second one is developing resources and reminding yourself of the resources that you already have in your life. And the fourth one is just being present in the present moment, that right now you're here, you can feel your body on the chair, you can feel your body standing, and that means that you're not paying attention too much about what happened in the past and what you need to do in the future, but what you can do in the present moment it really is These are like practices of attention and awareness and i really call it a practice um now i've really got to refocus some of our languaging about it because we find that the more people practice the more readily they can get into this resilient zone that i just mentioned by the way we're also calling it the okay zone for children and some people like that as well because you can be okay sad you could be okay mad but you haven't lost your head so to speak um So in any event, we teach people very simply, like I could, you know, ask you, Rhonda, um, what helps you get through, you know, tough times? Is there anything particular that comes to mind that (laughs) something that uplifts you, makes you feel calmer? um, Something in your life, it can be something outside of yourself. Um, It can be a personal characteristic. For some people, it even can be an imagined resource. I have a friend that has a, a fictional relationship with
1: George Clooney. So I, mean, I know that sounds a little funny. Well, but, I mean, okay, then not really delusional, like but protection. Okay, Pardon right. me? Not delusional, right? It's
0: not delusional. No, no, it's not delusional. It's like, like,
1: you know, we're not stalking <laughs> anybody. That's the. <laughs> no, we're not
0: stalking anybody, of course. But, okay. I think it's the sort of thing of, of there may be characters in a book that, when you think about that character of strength or courage, that it brings you a sense of well-being. So, is there anything that you can think of that yes. we can do? A little, we've done this before when we've
1: had a we can we do this conversation. Yes, yeah. and and before we do this now, if people are listening, if they're driving, and they're trying to track along, be careful. You will need to pay attention to your driving. So, uh, pull well, over and, if you uh, want well, to you join know, you us.
0: Do, yeah, well, you can actually even ground yourself. Is just just notice your hands on the steering wheel.
1: There you go. Because when
0: you notice your hands on the steering wheel or the seat of uh, your seat hitting the seat of your of your car seat, that's one of the ways that you do the third skill which is grounding. Okay. and that just keeps you very present, paying attention to the road.
1: Yes. Just want to make sure everyone's safe oh, yes, out there absolutely. as we as we do this. So what you're asking what, what I do in a in a stressful yeah, situation. So what,
0: you? what what brings you peace, calm in the world? It can yes. you know, like for me, it can be like a going on a on a um a roller coaster ride that's lifting it to make my heart cool. beat a little fast. But it's in the it's in the okay zone. It can also be my granddaughter, which really makes me feel just warm all over. So, what what kinds wonderful.
1: of things? What, um, you I, what? I go for a hike, or I do tai chi, or I breathe, or I sing. Oh, so which one would you want to talk a little bit more about right, right now? Uh, let's see. Let's say hiking. Hiking. So, is there a particular place that you like to hike? Yes, I I have a particular hike that I love. It's it's pretty. It's it's a little bit vigorous. And uh-huh. when you get to the top, there are wonderful views. And so the, so you're rewarded. You get to, I get to actually use my body and my muscles and, and perspire a little bit, and that's good. <laughs> okay. That feels good when I'm, you know, charged. And then um, I get to have a, a a beautiful main view, a vista of the ocean and a vista of lakes and, a, and the mountains. So it's, it's and very so when lovely. You're,
0: as you, can you see that vista right now I as you me about it? And are there, are there smells that go along with it or sounds that go along with this image?
1: Well, there is, I think, sometimes the spruce and the pine are, are uh, giving off, uh, especially in a hot day. You can, you can smell those wonderful scents. Um, I can If the wind is blowing, there is a, a, a whoosh through the trees. Um, there is sometimes and, that's annoying because it's too windy, but uh, <laughs> yeah. so we'll just go but back to be, the. <laughs> and can it be pleasant? Sometimes, but it too. can be pleasant as well. Yeah. There's uh, oh. this just a, a lovely uh, so the smell. There's the the wind. There's the brightness, especially on a bright sunny day. And so, as you're telling me about this right now, are you noticing anything happening
0: inside your body? Like, is there a change in your breathing or? Your heart rate or your muscle relaxation or tension?
1: Absolutely, I'm smiling. I'm my uh-huh. stomach. You know, you you have to get a little bit of oomph to to do a radio show. So now I'm finding, now I'm finding I'm I'm totally relaxing. My feet are are relaxed. My shoulders have relaxed. I'm breathing well, softer. So
0: wow. So just bring your attention to that, and that's 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 the very simplicity of our model. You just called up a resource, and you're not actually on that mountain, yet you're having all the sensations as if you were.
1: Mm. And
0: and the, so that this is this calling this image up, and then sensing it. Um, there's another piece of why I call it a neuroscience nugget, is that um, in the cutting edge neuroscience that happens, there's a very common term that says neurons that fire together wire together, and what that means simplistically is that we have brain cells that when they're paying attention to one another, they connect together even stronger. And when they're stronger, that means that we're creating new roadmaps within our, within our body so that we can actually then just even for a nanosecond, the more that you practice that, you can call up that, that resource and track the sensation and you can feel as if you're there. So you could be in the middle of doing something, like you said, like maybe a radio show that causes you to have a little constriction in your, in your stomach and you can feel it dissipate. But we, what we've seen is you can use this in all sorts of settings so that it can help you when you're not feeling your best self. And what's important about that is that it helps us, again, make those decisions for ourselves and others from a more resource-compassionate um, place. Um, so that hopefully it can bring us together. And this is what my response is when people say, well, I mean, what do you think about this situation or this political situation? I go, well, I said, I think what I'm interested in is how can we come together as human beings? And we all have a nervous system, whether we live in California where I live or where you live in Maine, or whether you're a Republican, a Democrat, an independent, a Green Party person, and if we can access the best parts of that nervous system and be in that resilient zone or okay zone, then we may be able to look at our neighbor, who may have a different political leaning that we have, and say, well, you know, but when we have a storm, we're both out there um, helping dig out our, our driveways from the snow and, and our roads so we can, get out of our, <laughs> we can get out of our house. And so we can see where we have commonalities rather than differences. And, I mean, it may be as simple as what I just said, or it may be more complex than that. And so that's what I'm interested in, I think, as we bring this model all over the world. And, boy, since i just talked to you last, um, you know, I'm about to go to Northern Ireland into Belfast, where we'll be training um, 25 individuals to be community resiliency model teachers. And, of course, they're dealing with the, the wake of the Civil War that that ended in 1997, but really the, the effects are still there. And because we're doing so much research about transgenerational trauma, we know that children don't have to experience the Civil War to feel the impact of it inside their own bodies because their parents did. And so um, we have this burgeoning you know, area of you know genomes and how um, it can be impacted from our experience. So we are really... Um, Uh, being asked in many places around the world right now to come in and to train local teachers of our community resiliency model so they can reach out and be able to bring it to their own communities. And so we train people that are the community leaders. We train people from faith-based organizations. We train people that are working with the most economically challenged and sometimes the most marginalized of of, of their societies because we're trying to bring what if, you know, we could all come into this place of being in our best part of our nervous system that has the added benefit of being in the best part of our thinking and our executive functioning
1: well, so that we
0: make those kinds of decisions. So, you know, I, I ran across, I was in Montana a few years ago, and I came across this quote that said, adversity is not destiny. Ooh. And I think that's what I'm interested in, is how do we create um, greater resiliency in all of us, so that we can walk through this world being peacemakers, um,
1: a- speaking up when
0: we need to, but staying in that zone to bring peace to the world and so, to ourselves and our families. I
1: our just teams. have to tell you, Elaine, that I'm I'm feeling my feet are firmly on the ground. <laughs> I'm, I, and while I'm, I'm totally relaxed, and and there might be a part, all oh, my whole body, my whole breathing, there might be a part that of Of my thinking, or maybe our cultural thinking that might say, "I should be a little bit charged to do this when it 's like the person saying, "Wait a minute i, I can 't be in my resiliency zone. I have to stay sharp, but what i 'm also noticing is that I have more access to to ideas and and it's my whole my whole thinking, my prefrontal cortex, has is a little bit calmer, and I can actually access some more, some more um, comfort and, or, yes. or clarity. And, and I do want to tell people, uh, just, just allow me to reintroduce you, uh, Elaine, because some people may have just tuned in. Okay. And at, uh, I'm Rhonda Feynman, and we are, and you are, listening to Healthy Options at WERU Community Radio. And our guest today is Elaine Miller-Karis, and she's the executive director and co-founder of the Trauma Resource Institute and author of the book, Building Resiliency to Trauma, the Trauma and Community Resiliency Model. So when you're having community people learning these skills in your five day, that's a that's a nice training. How how are they accessing this in their? How do you start introducing this in a to your community? What? Well, you know, one
0: of the things that that happens is that usually someone will come to a training and they go back and they start talking about it to people that are in their community network. And because the skills are so simple to learn, they really can be taught to. Little children, and we even somebody sent me a video of a three-year-old teaching her one-and-a-half-year-old brother how to calm down by using one of the skills. It was the cutest thing ever. So it's really across ages, it's across oh. cultures, and so people just start talking to others about the skills, and sometimes just teaching a few, like the basic three. As you can see, we just talked about them. It doesn't take a lot to be able to think about something that that uplifts you and. To then experience it in your body and notice the sensations, because that's what we think really kind of saves it to the hard drive. It's really um, to use a term by Genland, who um, really a lot of us who work in this biological way um, would have had to read his books about focusing in order to be able to um, describe the felt sense. But the felt sense is very important because it's like saving it to the hard drive of your com- your computer. But anyway, people start talking to their friends. And then I get we get phone calls that say, um, "Gee, we'd like to have a training in our own community," um, and so how does, how do we make that happen? And people make it happen in lots of different ways. Sometimes they get, you know, patchwork quilts of different people that you know funding. Um, we have a project that we're putting together for Mexico City right now that will. I'll probably do a GoFundMe because we don't have a funder, and yet we have a university that will sponsor us to give us the venue and will house us and feed us. So then it's getting the plane tickets there. So so many different ways that people bring us in, and I never know you know, until I talk to someone. I say, well, how did you find out about us? Like the woman who called me from Mexico City had called a Jungian Institute in Chicago, and someone there said, oh, you got to call the Trauma Resource Institute.
1: That's great. So
0: I never know. So Like how people contact us or how they found out about us, because we don't do any advertising. It's, this is really kind of the ground squelch, bottom bottom-up, word-of-mouth kind of um, training. And we, I certainly speak at a lot of different conferences, so do many of our colleagues that work with me, because even though I might have you know, been one of the persons who um, was inspired to start this, we have so many great people that work with us around the world. We have a young man in, named Samuel Habimana, and I bet you he's going to listen to this, too. He's from Rwanda, and after taking our training, he created the, the Rwandan Resource and Grounding Organization, and he's trained so many people in Rwanda in our community resiliency model skills. We have a group of people in the Philippines called PhilAX, the Philippine Association of Community Resiliency Model Trainers. So I get so absolutely proud of them when they take our model and they start using it for themselves, and then they bring it to their community in a wider way. I've been to the Philippines many times to help them learn the model with a great team of people from the states, but we don't have to do that anymore because they have their own people. And that's what um, I always say. I, I want to be obsolete because if I can teach you like, right, Rhonda, you know that you can resource and bring up this beautiful place in nature. You don't ever have to talk to me again to remind yourself that that's something that you can do on your own. And I think that's the value of paying attention to resiliency skills and our wellness. And I, you know, use the term, the elegant design of the nervous system that I do think it's an elegant design because it, it, it if you pay attention to well-being, it expands. And I use this reference, you know, when and and you talk to me about how does it spread, it's a very simple metaphor is that all over the world, I, I know in Maine, because I've been to Maine and you're part of the world, people have gardens, some people have community gardens, and they plant vegetables, they plant flowers. And you have to nurture the ground and you have to water them, right, in order for them to expand. And, and there's weeds in gardens. And we know that there can be a utility in weeds. We've, also, weeds can have some important minerals from the ground. But if we only watered the weeds in a garden, you know, what would happen to that garden? What would happen to the yeah. vegetables and the, and the flowers that you planted? You know, the answer is they wouldn't be as robust. They wouldn't grow in the same way. And the weeds would probably take over. So it's the same thing within our nervous system. If we've had a lot of trauma and stress in our life, sometimes what we pay attention to is the beating drum of the distress in our body. And sometimes that's important. It's like we're sick or something we you may need to go to the doctor, but sometimes it has a life of its own and many of your listeners know exactly what I'm talking about. So how can we shift our awareness? Because people have said to me many times, I try to say, just stop it, feel better. But like we're talking with our... With words, with a part of which is really part of our body, part of our sensory system. So it doesn't really respond very well. It's like we're speaking two different languages. But so, when you pay attention to this amazing um, vocabulary of sensations, then it really can help ex- change it. So if you start pouring more water or paying attention to your sensations of well-being, it expands because so, this model is not just talking; it's sensing. And, you know, I really want to encourage people to go to our website. There's a um, um, a video on there by a young woman who had had two deployments to Iraq uh, who um, was ready to – really, literally, she says in the video that she was ready to end her life. She fortunately encountered someone that taught her the crim skills. And, and the crim is, again – That's the community resiliency model Mm -hmm. and and also the trauma resiliency model because they have the same skills. The difference is the trauma resiliency model is for professionals, and we teach a a further trauma reprocessing part. But in any event, she said the more she practiced it, she said, you know, she woke up one day and and I was like, God, I haven't thought about killing myself all day. And that was a big Mm -hmm. thing for her, but she exercised her resiliency muscle. She practiced it, and she started to feel better. Now, people who are listening may say, well, you know, is this based on, you know, evidence, Elaine? Are you doing research? Well, it's better for me not to do the research, but for people outside. And we have uh, research going on right now at Loma Linda University in California, at University of Hamburg in Germany, um, Emory University in Atlanta, Fairfield University in Connecticut. Um, these are just four of the ones that, you know, I, you know that really have active research right now. Researching our model, and we did a large study in California, which really was the inception of the launch of this model, um, along with our work in Haiti. Um, and it's through the it's called the California Mental Health Health Services Act, where we have a one percent tax on millionaires to fund innovation in mental health. And we were fortunate enough to get um, a grant so that we could um, really see if our model worked. And so we did a survey, so it wasn't what we call a randomized controlled trial. We didn't have a, another group who wasn't getting it to see the difference, but from the, we trained 159 people to be trainers, and they were from the at-risk populations that were identified by the state of California, which um, included veterans, um, LGBTQ, um, high-risk youth, um, African Americans, Latinos, Asian Pacific Islanders, um, and Native Americans. And of 159 people that we trained that represented those groups, we had statistically significant reductions in depression, anxiety, uh, somatic symptoms, symptoms in the body, and hostility indicators. So that was like it was you know that was a catalyst for me to say, wow, hostility indicators. What happens when we're in that resilient zone? Again, some of our sometimes our anguish and our anger can get more harnessed so that we can do the things we can do in a more helpful way for ourselves and others, and not get ourselves into trouble. You know, I did a project at the women's prison here in Chino, and one of the women there who was in really the high, you know, maximum security part said to me, "Um, if I would have known about this, I don't think I'd be here, because every crime I committed, I was in my high zone. So you see what I'm saying? It's I like this do. is really something Changing that Changing your confuse, life,
1: yeah, for with almost any population. Can, can, we, can we talk a little bit again about that. what is, what about what does that mean to get into the level of sensation?
0: What, what well, It is, means paying attention to your nervous system. For example, when you were describing to me that, as I was talking, that you could feel your feet on the ground, you were paying attention to your body, and it, and you know our, we receive all information by our sensory system you know when our eyes are open we're getting images that are coming through our eyes if we're touching you know if we're driving in the car we're touching the steering wheel i'm sitting in a chair in my house and i'm touching um, the sofa and i can feel that it's smooth that it's um, that it has a, a texture that the longer i touch it i can sense a warmth in my hand so it's paying attention to that because if we've had trauma in the body and or even a lot of stress, like you reported you had this sensation in your belly. Yes. Sometimes people walk around the world just feeling distress in their body. So that that's, a, that's a, an experience with your sensory system. So what if you started paying attention? Even right now, you could be in chronic pain and say, is there a part of your body where you feel a little bit better? Is there a part of your body that even feels neutral or has less pain or less discomfort? And what would happen if you focused your attention on that? And sometimes, this may sound kind of silly, it can be as some person has said to me, Elaine, the only place I don't feel pain is my nose. I go, okay, bring your attention to your nose. You might even want to touch your nose. What is it like not to feel discomfort there? And, and what happens with our nervous system is that there can be an easing up and a lessening of the experience of discomfort in our body. So paying attention to that sensory system you know, really, to me, is another portal of healing that we have left out of the equation often. We, in our Western way, we're such a cognitive um, um, society, right? Tell me what you think. What do you feel? And not to say what we think and what we feel are not important, but what about what we sense? Oh, my gosh, as I'm sitting here, I'm, I'm sensing a certain energy right now myself in talking to you because I'm talking about something that I really believe and I'm impassioned about. Yes. And so it's not that I'm like in a chill zone of like a meditation or a prayer. I'm in the vitality of my, my nervous system at this moment in time. And that's part of who we are as well. But I'm paying attention to my sensory system. I mean, and sometimes it can be as simple too. Many of you maybe have had the experience that, you know, when you, you're with your parental family, then all of a sudden you start reacting the way that you haven't reacted since you were 12, and you're going, oh my gosh, I can't <laughs> believe I had that response. Well, we get triggered into maybe our high zone or our low zone when we've had past you know, stressful experiences, sometimes with our own family, and we can learn to, to track that. Oh my gosh, I do. I get in my high zone. Every time I see my, let's say, my older brother, now I'm going to just say, oh, I'm going to try to just remember that I'm an adult now. I can Think about that beautiful place up in the mountains. I'm in my zone, and I'm going to talk to him adult to adult, not me as a 12-year-old and him as my 17-year-old brother that used to punch me. You know, those kinds of things are so simple, but you also see where those that portal of being our best selves, we can now have interactions in the adult world with our best selves, but we're using the sensory system as this portal of information, and we're actually working with it because we're trying to create new, what we call neuronal pathways, those brain cells that fire together, wire together, so that now I can, let's say, go and be in certain situations, whether it's personally or professionally, and I can really work on being in my zone and not getting bumped out, because we all get bumped out. I think that's the other thing. We try to use language that is not about mental weakness, but it's about the biology of the human nervous system. I've asked this question all over the world, How many of you have ever been bumped out of your resilience zone and been angry and annoyed and sometimes said things you regret? It is very rare that not every single person raises their hand. And if I say, have you ever felt kind of disconnected, depressed, and felt like, oh, my gosh, I don't even know if I want to go continue. A person raises their hand. And I said, how many of you have experienced both? The whole room raises their hand. And I've asked that question in Nepali. Um, I've asked that question in Spanish. I've asked that question that question in Kurdish, in Arabic, the same, the same response. It's the human condition. And so if it's all the human condition, can't we learn things as, 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 as humans on this globe to come back into our zone? I think you bet you can. I've seen it happen and um, I know it can happen. And I get reports about it all the time. So it's, it's inspiring to me to be able to share something so simply to people. That they can now use for themselves and others and their families that changes how they walk through the world and reminds them, like, I love this line. I, I wrote about it in the book. We had just finished doing our a training in um, the Philippines, and we were in Tocloban, which was one of the areas that was the most impacted. And one of our newly minted prim skills teachers, his name was Chris, He'd been working with a group of women that we were actually in, in, working in pews. There was no roof any longer, but the pews were set up as, a, as if it was a church. Mm. He had a group of about five different women, and he was teaching them the skills, and they, many of them had lost family members during the the, uh, the typhoon. Anyway, so he comes up to me and goes, A lady, lady goes, you're never going to guess what, what that lady just said to me. I go, what? what, Chris? He said, she said, thank you, Chris, for reminding me what I already knew but had forgotten. And I think I just love that because our model reminds people of, you know, the good parts of themselves, the true parts of themselves um, that sometimes get shrouded when we've had a lot of trauma in our life and when we've experienced a lot of suffering. And, you know, that kind of gets us back to the beginning of our story, right? Talking about Las Vegas. I mean, it's the same question what helped you get through? I mean, and that is true whether we live um, in. Philippines we
1: live in Las Vegas and we just went through that horrible thing. Mm. So what you're doing is you know, sometimes when, when we're telling, when people you said want to tell their story, even though what I'm hearing is we don't really have to tell our traumatic story. We, if we're li- working on the level of sensation the words of describing are not necessary to, to calm the nervous system. As a matter of fact, that could re-stimulate
0: Oh my goodness, you're absolutely right. And so, in fact, many of the people that we work with, you know, many of them have said, I've been to, you know, experience after experience with different people that keep asking me the same story, and I just feel worse and worse. And But this is something that I now can do for myself because what people do, when they learn to read their nervous system and use this as a wellness practice, they can um, catch it before it, you know, like they can catch the beginnings of what their body's doing before it has a panic attack, for example. That people, person might say, oh, my my hand starts getting tight. And then all of a sudden I can feel my neck getting tight. But now I catch it. And then I say, wait a minute, I'm going to shift my attention to um, that beautiful place up in the mountains in the for example. Right. And all of a sudden my body relaxes. So then it's actually creating a new experience. So whatever triggered this... Um, in this experience which is not pleasant that you can intercept it and you can change it and so, you can shift your awareness to your well-being so, and what we're seeing um, in the research that's being done is it dampens the the um, I think it's an activity of a part of our brain called the amygdala which signals um, our body when we could be threatened or in danger and sometimes that amygdala keeps you know, sending out um, warning signs, even if the danger is no longer there. Mm-hmm. And so that's when people say, oh, the panic attack came out of the blue. I don't quite believe that any longer. I think that there are triggers that are underneath conscious awareness that then set up that pattern. But when you can catch the sensation of it, you don't even have to know why you're experiencing, why, why it got triggered. You can sense that, that tightening and then say, oh, wait, I have something else I can do. and you can even ground, you can sit in the chair and feel your your bottom in the chair Um, or think about a resource and we have other skills as well that have, are helpful as well. There's three others.
1: Gill, there's something you mentioned about about the, the gesturing that somehow we notice that somebody's moving their hand or their foot is moving. It's sometimes we would think about it: are we discharging the nervous system, or is there what what's happening well, when we do I mean, that? Oh
0: my gosh, gestures are one of my most favorite thing to talk about.
1: So, <laughs> well, yes, I want I want to tell people who you are. <laughs> Hold that thought, okay? Because again, we are we're just having so much fun here and learning and about trauma. It's crazy it. that to even. use use that word in the same sentence, but we did. You're tuned to WERU Community Radio, and this is the Healthy Options Program. I'm Rhonda Feynman. We're discussing trauma resiliency and the model and skills that we can use to regain our our, and and work with trauma and be resilient in our world uh, with Elaine Miller-Karas of the Trauma Resource Institute, and that's the traumaresourceinstitute.org calm for more information so yes tell us about gesturing all
0: right so gestures so actually gestures um and um spontaneous movements are our, our fourth skill you say well skill well, how can you that be a skill because what we've learned as we've gone all these different places in the world is most human beings have a gesture that's self-soothing but it's usually underneath conscious awareness and people may not be aware that they do it so what we Try to encourage people to do, and I encourage your listeners to, is to think if they have a gesture that they that they do, that may be below conscious awareness that calms them. For example, I do something where I put my two thumbs together, and my right thumb strokes my left thumb, and when I do that, my whole nervous system calms down. I can take. A, I'm just even thinking about it right now. I take a breath, and I just feel a loosening of my muscles. So. In our trainings, I'll say, well, think about it, and then we'll all do it at the same time. And Oh, it's so cute, wonderful to see a room full of different gestures. Some people, their right leg is stroking their left leg. Some people are taking their hair and twirling their hair. Some people are, like, resting their, their, their head on their, um, their hand. All different kinds of things, because I find that not one self-soothing gesture is a self-soothing gesture for everyone. And, of course, this self-soothing gesture... Is not self-harming. It is something yes. that's soothing yes. and doesn't harm me. And so, this is something you carry with you all the time. So, let's say I'm in a contentious meeting and I'm getting a little upset. I'm going, "Oh my gosh!" I'm getting out of my resilient zone. I can, I can, underneath the table, put my thumb on top of the other thumb and stroke it, and all of a sudden, I can feel my whole system get back into the resilient zone. So, that's something that's available to all of us. So, that's paying attention to what you know, like our hardware. That we have in our nervous system and using it for um, our our benefit to be in a calmer place Um, also some people so but the thing about paying attention to gestures as well is many of us have gestures that also calm us and we may be talking to someone and we're talking about let's say something that gives us peace and our hand moves in a certain way when we start paying attention to that um, we'll notice that if we slow it down that it actually can evoke even more calmness within our nervous system. Um, And also, gestures can also evoke distress. So if we paid attention and just repeated something over and over again that causes us distress and maybe is connected to to, to our trauma, that may not be helpful to us. So then having things that we can, with conscious choice, say, oh my gosh, instead of making that gesture, I'm going to do that one, and that calms me, then that's why we, we have... We have put it into our model as a skill because that discernment and paying attention to to those kinds of gestures and movements can actually pour more well-being into your nervous system, into your body. And because we're using that as a portal of healing, it also can be healing to how you think and how you feel. So it's just another way of bringing um, awareness to the body that actually can promote healing.
1: So we're saying that the nervous system, as you say in the book, is designed for regulation. That the nervous system really, um, if we can say, once, or has the uh, has the capacity to calm. We have the capacity to calm ourselves and to to do it with all of these things that we're possibly unconsciously doing.
0: Holding, you know, absolutely, and 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 even you know, even people might say to me, "Well, what if you're dying?" Is that the elegant design of the nervous system? And I'll say yes, because if I'm sitting with a beloved person and they're at the end of their life and if they can still speak to me and we can have a conversation, the conversation I may have may be the stories of their life that that they're looking at right now that have enriched their lives. And I can see them take that same, you know, have a smile or take a breath that, you know, reminds them of what also was true in their life that they're bringing to the present moment. And so those kinds of things can happen as well. That there's this, there's this design that we ha- that we are all born with. And you know, it's, for me, having traveled so many places around the world and having seen it in every place I've gone, uh, it just inspires me about who we are as human beings, and also the capacity that we have to bring healing and peace into the world, and and not live with sometimes the contentiousness that we see. You know, being amplified um, right now in our world.
1: So, if you're a community resource person, CRIM person,
0: community resiliency model person, yes.
1: Community resiliency model person, and you were bringing this back to your community, and you're sitting with a group, and this may not be the big trauma, you may, you know, it may not be the big. You say the big T trauma as that we're dealing with, for instance, in our world today. But in someone else's world, it could be what we consider a small T trauma. Um, And somebody gets re-stimulated. Is that part of the training to really know how to de-stress somebody or how to help somebody get back into the resilience zone, even you know, if they're... You
0: know, ab- you know, absolutely, and, and and I think it can, you know, sometimes when you know, people take our trains and go, we start all of our staff meetings now and thinking about something that gives us, <laughs> that uplifts us so it gives us peace because we know we're going to dive into some waters in the meeting that aren't so pleasant so we can right. have people remind themselves they can shift back to their, to their resource if they need to and maybe that can help us. Come to a better, a better productive meeting rather than us yelling and screaming at each other, right? right? So it can be, it can be in a community group like that, you know. That's what I mean. Be,
1: yes.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, but to know that it it also isn't our model, um, you know. And I'll just after this, but I live near San Bernardino, and um, Tri was asked to come in. To you know, many of us responded after the San, San Bernardino terrorist attack. Um, you know, when you're a, a, a small county. Um, it's like people are part of a family, and everybody knew each other. Many people were impacted. We were asked to go to one particular office. And the way that we start our meetings after such a big thing like this, and this happened to be an, a group of people that were in a building right across from the building where the terrorist attack was taking place, and um, there was the knowledge that maybe some people that they knew were actually there. But anyway, when we got started, You know, I just said we're here to support you in any way we can. And you can tell us as little or as much as you want about, you know, what you're experiencing from what happened. And you can also pass and say, I don't want to speak. And so we went around the room and, you know, one of the women started talking about that one of her friends had lost a family member and that she didn't know, of course, that had happened. And they actually had all been praying together in their staff room. And the one who was leading the prayer didn't know that, you know, her family member had died. And she just was, she brought that out, and she said, I, I, I can't, when I think about it, it's just so wrong." And, and so she talked a little bit about that, and I asked her, are you doing anything for this person? And they were bringing her meals, and she didn't really want to talk to anybody yet from work. It was shortly after the attack, and, and I just said that same question. I said, well, what's helping you get through right now? Is there anything that's helping you get through this? And she said, and she kind of looked, and she said, oh, my, she said, can, can I tell you guys about my daughter? When I came home after we were on lockdown, she said, "My, I was sitting on the couch, and my little daughter, who's three, came up to me, and she says, Mommy, are you sad? And she goes, we turned off the television, and we didn't want to watch the news. And, and I said to her, yeah, honey, Mommy's sad. Something happened at work, and Mommy's sad. She says, Mommy, I can make you feel better. And, she, and this woman said, oh, you can't? She says, yeah. She goes, Mommy, I can sing for you. And she goes, okay, you can sing for me. And she says, and so the little girl started singing her Let It Go from Frozen. <laughs> and, and right, like you just laughed. Here we were with about 20 people who had just experienced one of the most horrible things in their community. And they all had that little bit of laugh and that little bit of relief. And, 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 they were all, and, and many of them started to tear up, but not the tears of sadness, but the tears of gratitude. And then after that, it was like everyone started talking about, a well, woman we said, oh, you know, I'm thinking about my, my grandson was born, and I've got a picture of him on my phone, and when he was born and I was there, right after the birth, he took my, 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 my finger, I have a picture of him holding my finger. So what people started doing then was talking about not only the parts of it that were hard, which some of them did, but every single one of them brought in, without me asking, a little bit of this, these, these golden nuggets of humanity, that really were so inspiring. And, you know, at the end, you know, it wasn't that how can you solve the suffering and the grief, you know, of something so big. But I think one of the things that we've learned and I think we do fairly well is just that, that like that lady in the Philippines said, we help remind people, you know, what they already know but may have forgotten because of the, 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 um, the trauma that's in front of them. And, you know, I'm thinking of all those folks in, in Las Vegas. And, I mean, if you look at the, the list of people who who, um, who who died, they're from really so many places, you know. So our whole country, you know, many of us know people. My daughter's friend died, oh. um, a girl named um, Jennifer Irvine. She's from San Diego. Um, but many people know someone, you know, one degree of separation.
1: There you go.
0: Of people that were impacted. And I think we can... We can hear, be respectful listeners if they, have to t- if they want to tell a part of the trauma story, but to know they don't have to to feel better and to, to move forward and to, to still hold the impact of what happened. And yet with the knowledge is that we want to figure out how we go forward and bring greater healing and peace to the world. Well, and-, and if we feel impassioned about making whatever changes that some people think we need to make, that you can hold that in, in the top part of your resilience zone and be a stronger advocate for what you passionately believe in.
1: One of the things you say in your book on, on this line is if if, when someone is telling their story that and can get re-stimulated, that you can take a break, that you can have a, a, a break and come back to the resource. So if this is happening in our communities now and people are listening and people are charged about whatever they're charged about and they're talking about it, it's okay to stop the story and actually go back to the, to the resource, wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah
0: I, I think it is okay. I think it's, it's tricky. it can be tricky, though, because sometimes people go, but I have to tell you everything. I'll say, yes. you know, I really want to be here and listen to everything you want to say, but if I notice that you're getting a bit upset, can we just pause for a second? And maybe just remember that we're both here together and I'm here to listen. And, and because if the person does that, the person can be then telling the story within their zone and then actually oftentimes other elements of the story can begin to, um, to amplify as well. Not only the trauma parts, but also the resiliency parts. So, because I really, we, I call those, we call those resiliency pauses. To, can we just pause for a second? We're both here together. Can we feel our feet on the ground? Mm. Um, can we, you know, feel that we're um, we're trying to figure this out together? And sometimes just that, just little statement in of itself, can help to shift the um, the the. Um,
1: the discussion. <laughs> oh, someone's someone's hungry over there. Uh, oh yes, know <laughs> what, I'm going to go. <laughs> well, so we strong. have a minute or so left. Um, <laughs> I'm I do, outside. <laughs> oh, okay, good, that is great. Um, Sorry, <laughs> no, no, like, it's fine. Dogs. It's good. We we can integrate this. We're good. Yeah. We're in our res- we're in our resiliency zone. We can we can take this all in. Um, when you mentioned that you had someone your, your daughter's friend who who died in the attack in Las Vegas, I had a jump. My my nervous system got charged. Yeah, and I'm sure all of our listeners or many of our listeners who heard that got charged. And it's not it's it's possibly not different than when they heard the news yesterday. But somehow, again, there was that oh, a real person. I mean, we all know these are real people, but somehow, someone knows somebody. Um, and that brings up, uh, what, how would we, what do we do now? We ground, we, we get, we breathe, we, we take a moment, we
0: breathe, um, you know, we, um, you know, if if we know someone or, you know, I think I always make a point, you know, for me, um, that I want to read the bios of every single person that died. I want to respect them that, um, although their life was taken away tragically, I want to know something about them. I remember that these were not just numbers. It's not just the 58 people that, that were killed. Um, but but they, were, they were human beings that were someone's mother. They were someone's sister, brother, wife, husband. And so that personalizes for me so that I honor their life. That's the way that I resource myself to honor their, um, their presence on the planet and how they were taken away. Um, in this in this particular way, mm-hmm. um, so that's something that I do. So that I mean, is even when I'm saying it right now? I feel very grounded um, because I th- that's all I can do in terms of that person. Because those person, I think we need to not th- think of like oh, it's 58 people, um, 58, 58, but oh, but think about them as being the human beings that they that they were and what they contributed to people's lives. Um, that can be a resource. Which, you know, again, our second skill that for some of us can help us, if I track it, um, I can get back into my resilience zone. And I can sense, as I'm talking to you right now, is then what can I do as being what I would like to think of myself as a change agent to bring these aspects of healing to a broader group in our in our world
1: oh elaine we could continue on and on and i think we're going to have to have you back and talk about more. <laughs> i would love to come back We're Monday coming to coming to the end of our of our time here And I want to thank you so much for being here today on Healthy Options. Our guest on Healthy Options today has been Elaine Miller-Karras, the executive director and co-founder of the Trauma Resource Institute and author of the book Building Resiliency to Trauma, the Trauma and Community Resiliency Models. Thank you, Elaine, again for being here. You're welcome continue if you're continuing to inspire and do this essential work uh, that you and you know the institute are doing all over the world and wonder
0: and, and if i could just say remember those of you that are listening that if you've had adversity that it's not your destiny and there's hope remember there's hope
1: there is hope thank you okay bye-bye bye The Trauma Resource Institute website is www.traumaresourceinstitute.com. We'll have links to this and to other information that was mentioned on the show when we post the show on the public affairs section of WERU.org. In the meantime, if you missed any part of this program or would like to share it, please go to our online streaming of recent programs, at W-E-R-U.org. I want to thank Joel Mann for engineering and to Petra Hall for production assistance. And as always, thanks to all of our WERU listeners and supporters. This is Rhonda Feynman wishing you the best in health.
0: W-E-R-U comes from our listeners and